All right, well, good morning, everybody. This is exciting news for you guys as a church. That is fantastic. It is so, uh, so good to see how God is moving um, all over the state of Washington and beyond. It's exciting to see what he's doing right here in Stanwood. And, and again, it is uh, just a joy for our family to be with you uh, today. Thank you again for just the opportunity to, uh, to hang out and get some muffins. And, uh, you, er, you know, everything that you guys are doing, your, your, uh, your church, the people here, um, you just are delightful servant-hearted people that make us feel at home uh, from the floral arrangements to the muffins of course I even had a Swiss Miss hot cocoa this morning so it's been a good morning so thank you guys you guys all pitch in and um, and it's a beautiful thing to see you guys and in how the how God is moving in and amongst this church so um, just want you to know that you have something special here and uh, it's really really cool um, we are continuing in uh, this small little series on the book of Acts, and we'll be in Acts chapter 8 today. So we've been kind of looking at just the idea of the, the book of Acts being kind of the launching of the early church, the launching of God's next move, this restored, like the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven through the vehicle of the church, and uh, piece by piece we're seeing this come together. And, you know, the believer uh, becomes restored. All right, going from being broken to being healed, being um, without uh, a future and eternal life with Jesus to being restored in relationship with him and having this eternal life to look forward to and yet seeing how can we participate and partner with God in the bringing of the kingdom. And this is like the restored life. This is what we're looking at. And this is what is this launching of this church in the book of Acts. And we've looked at what that restored community looks like. Uh, this week, we'll be looking at just the idea of a restored scripture. And that, you know, going from, you know, well, with the book of Acts to the early church there, they didn't have the New Testament. But now, hindsight, uh, what we have a few uh, years down the road, we've got not only do we have the Old Testament, but we have the New Testament. We have just the prophecies from the Old Testament that we're seeing fulfilled in the time of Jesus um, in the New Testament. And we're seeing what God is going to do in the future. And we see that not only is the scripture from the Old Testament restored, viewed in a proper light, in light of Jesus, but also just that the, the scriptures itself can be interpreted in ways with the Holy Spirit now illuminating to us in a way that we as a restored relationship with Jesus, Christian, follower of Jesus, bringer of the kingdom, we get to see and like hear the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to illuminate the scriptures to us so that we can be obedient to God's word. And we have the privilege of having the whole thing. So uh, if, if you want to open up your personal copy of the Holy Scriptures, I'd encourage you to do so. We will be in chapter 8 of the book of Acts today. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, the things to come here at Cedar Home. Thank you that you are in our midst, that you are here, that you are doing great things. Thank you for this pastor and his family. And uh, Lord, I pray your blessing over, over the next few weeks as they um, prepare to launch into the next thing you're doing here. Uh, we are just grateful for how you meet us each and every day. And thank you for the, the servants and the hard work that has been uh, put in over the years. And we pray that today, even now, right now, you would, would illuminate your scripture to us in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Uh, a raise of hands. How many of you guys need uh, corrective lenses of some kind? Wow. It's like, it's like all of us. Uh, so like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, I went to, uh, well, I, I realized that at night I'm just not seeing the road signs as well. 
and uh, you know it's just a little bit harder and then all the headlights that come to you and all the lights that you come they get the, like the little star shooting out effect which makes it a little bit harder to see I'm getting them a little bit right now uh, from these lights but you know it, it was just kind of getting you know different than it was when I was 20 I'll say that and so you know as we progress through life sometimes these lenses that we need you know we you know so you go to the doctor and, and then you know you, you stand far away from the, the the wall and they give you those little letters that you have to like tell them which direction it's going or what letter it is or what number it is and then you kind of you know you tell the you tell the the doctor you can see this or that or whatever and then i haven't done it in a long time it's it's probably been about 10 years but they they you sit in front of the optometrist and then they like do you like this or this this one or this one how many of you guys you know like you probably know better than me right but it's like hey, this one and this one how about this is this and then you go, i don't even know if there's any difference and then, you know just they click 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 next thing you know um you know, you've got the the magic prescription and you, know, you throw it on your eyes, and all of a sudden, you know, things that you didn't realize you couldn't see, now you can see. You're like, oh, okay. Um, you know, there's, there's more to the world out there. Um, I, I decided to chuck my glasses about 10 years ago. I had them for about two or three years, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. I can see better at night, but who needs to see better at night? So I just, uh, <laughs> I, you know, so I've decided to just go all natural. So we'll see. So look out for me on the roads, all right? I'm just fair. A fair warning. So anyway, uh, but you know, when we, I feel like, you know, this was sort of the image that I, I just felt like the Lord leading to me, you know, when you put a set of glasses on called the Holy Spirit and you're reading through the word of God, you see things clearly and God is going to help you interpret the scriptures. And I think that's what's happening with this early church is that they're reading through these Old Testament Passage of scripture, by the way, their memorization puts probably most of us to shame, for, at least for me. You know, these guys had the, the like massive sections of the Old Testament memorized, and they knew, the, they knew the messianic prophecies. They knew the Old Testament. They knew all of that which was happening. But then they weren't seeing it in the light of Jesus. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, following and looking through these scriptures, reading through all of a sudden what was unclear before becomes crystal clear now. And what a privilege to be able to have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us in the temple to be able to read through the scriptures and be able to say, okay, this is what God is doing. That these prophecies do indeed lead to this man, Jesus. That he really did live. That he really was crucified. That he really was resurrected. That he is really at the throne of God. That he really is in charge. That he really has a salvific message for us should we choose to put our trust in Jesus. Like, this is true. And when we put that Holy Spirit glasses on, we, th we slap on that new prescription called the Holy Spirit, and we start reading through these things, all of a sudden things that were unclear become clear. And I think that's what that restored idea of Scripture, that, that's how it makes sense in my mind. Hopefully it makes sense in your mind too. Um, as we've talked about the last few weeks, we know that the central theme of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to see this actually come into fruition in this chapter here, where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we find ourselves in this, uh, this book of Acts. We find ourselves in this true 
narrative historical account of the early church, we find ourselves continuing to follow the launch of this church. The apostles are preaching the word, and they've been giving warnings, and they've been giving floggings or beatings, and uh, they've been put into prison, and they're, they're kind of squirrely. They're, they're tough to hold on to somehow, right? Because God is at work, and they're in prison one moment, and then they're out of prison the next moment. Things are shaking. Next thing you know, there's a prayer meeting going on, and, and they're, they're out there preaching again. And the religious elite are going a little bit bonkers. They're a little scared. They're, they're threatened, and they can't seem to hold on to these guys. And so there have been warnings and there have been floggings. And last week we saw how Stephen was executed. And so we had Stephen the martyr. And now the church is stepping into a season of difficult persecution. And this is where we pick up the story. So flip over to Acts chapter 8. Here we go. And Saul approved of his execution. He's just speaking of the stoning of Stephen. Saul approves of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is crazy. Can you imagine, as the church, can you imagine that kind of persecution happening? Can you imagine actually going, somebody going house to house, knocking on doors, trying to find the followers of Jesus, trying to find those that are, are professing Jesus is Messiah? Can you believe that that would actually happen? Right? Can we imagine? We have experienced persecution in this country in different manners. Um, but I haven't ever had anybody knock on my door, bust through me looking for Bibles and looking for any paraphernalia that would say, yeah, this is a follower of Jesus. You know, maybe that day is going to come when they're going to scroll through your socials and they're going to knock on your door and they're going to look at and see, oh, if you've got a Jesus fish bumper on your bumper, you know, you're going in to the clink. You know, I don't know. Maybe that day is going to come, but it did come right here, right now. In this moment, in Acts chapter 8, it did come. Here's Saul, this amazing, you know, uh, guy that's so scholarly, so well-trained, so educated, so fearful of God, and yet so misguided. Wrong prescription on the glasses. He doesn't see things clearly, and so he's knocking on doors, he's pulling people out, and they're getting imprisoned because they are followers of the way. And persecution, what is the design of persecution? It's designed to, like, squash what God is doing. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, God is unstoppable. His will will not be thwarted. What God wants to do is going to continue and will continue. And that's what we find here in the scriptures. So persecution comes, but the problem with persecution is that the gospel just continues to be proclaimed. And so these people are being yarded out of their house and into prison, and yet some people, like Philip, squirts away up, you know, goes up north to Samaria, and next thing you know, the gospel is being presented and proclaimed in Samaria. But Saul is an interesting uh, individual, and we're going to get a little bit more time with Saul next week in in Acts chapter 9, and about his journey to believe that Jesus is indeed Lord and Messiah. But we have this amazing persecution going on, But you can imagine the kind of emotions that are going through these households as they are brand new to this whole Jesus is Messiah thing. And all of a sudden, it's not just the apostles that are getting into trouble, 
It's not just the ones that seem to have this amazing call on their life. It's all of those that have been added to their number. The ones that just are putting their trust in Jesus. These are the ones that are feeling the brunt of this persecution now. And so people are, are shooting away from Jerusalem trying to get out. And you'd have to ask yourself, what is sustaining these followers of Jesus? It's their faith. It is their faith in, as they have put their faith And as we find that somebody like Philip puts their faith and trust in Jesus, they cannot help but continue to proclaim that which they believe. And we see that, and and we're going to find that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was on the move, fulfilling what Jesus declared back in Acts chapter 1, that you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So let's look at verse 4. So it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And so, so the problem with this persecution thing is that it's like having the opposite effect. They're trying to squash it in Jerusalem, and the next thing you know, it starts popping up all over. Just as predicted by Jesus, or not predicted, prophesied, right? We're seeing the words of Jesus come into prophetic fulfillment as Philip is being a witness, not only in Judea, but now Samaria, And so here's this guy, Philip. He was one of the appointed those to serve the Hellenistic widows. And so just like Stephen, Philip was was brought into that mix. And so therefore we know that he's a man full of the Holy Spirit, that he was committed to following Jesus and to serving the church. Uh, Samaria was about 33 miles north of Jerusalem. So on foot, uh, this likely took, you know, two to three days journey. I don't know if he had like a souped up uh, donkey or something. He might've gotten there a little faster. I'm not really sure. Um, But, uh, you know, 33 miles is a bit to cover. And so, you know, he goes on this journey and, uh, you know, he he escapes out of Jerusalem, misses out on the persecution, sneaks up to Samaria. And um, and he goes to a place. It's an interesting place. Right. As we know from John four with the Samaritan woman at the well, as well as uh, Jesus telling the story of the good Samaritan. There was a little bit of bad feelings between um, those in Jerusalem and those in Samaria. You know, and there was a little bit of prejudice, or maybe a lot of bit of prejudice, right? So, so yeah, as you read commentators, they would say, like, there's a significant prejudice between uh, these people groups. And yet, this is where Philip goes. Does he go because he likes Samaria and the views are fantastic? Does he go because he knows that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria? And he's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start to Samaria. Like, let's, 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 that's the next stop on the list. Like, I want to be obedient. Or does he go because that's the way that he was able to sneak out of Jerusalem? I don't know. But that's where he goes. And not only does he go there, but he goes proclaiming the word of God. He goes proclaiming the good news. He goes, and the very thing that he's running away from or moving away from, the good news, like the the belief and trust in Jesus as Messiah, the very thing that he's getting himself into trouble, if you will, in Jerusalem is that which he's proclaiming in Samaria. Because he is like he's in. 
He is all in. Are you guys all in? All right, so Philip, amen. So Philip, he's all in, right? He is, he's ready to go and he's going to proclaim the good news, whether it's going to be a warning or a flogging or an or a imprisonment or whatever. He, he's in. And so we, he goes to Samaria and he starts to, to spread the word. And then the Holy Spirit shows up with Philip, of course. As Philip is obedient to the word of God, the Holy Spirit is on board. And next thing you know, there's signs and wonders that are happening. People that have unclean spirits are being, being uh, freed and there's liberation that's happening. And people who are oppressed are not oppressed anymore. People who are sick are being healed. And so the Holy Spirit is moving and these signs and wonders are happening and it's, it's coming alongside the word of God. It's being pre preached and proclaimed and people are finding joy. So this ultimate like, end of, of this persecution movement, at least for Samaria, is that these people are finding joy. And what you think would be like fear and sub, you know, just a subdued spirit of you know, uh, whatever, like living in fear of this coming persecution, and actually the result is joy. Because even if you are under persecution, the result of knowing that you are free in Christ and that you are healed and that you are like reconciled to him and that you know now and you are putting your trust and belief in, in Jesus as Lord and Messiah, your life is forever changed. You are filled with joy. Like the result of God's movement in your life is going to be joy. And there are going to be hard things. There are going to be hardships like we've talked about over the last few weeks. There are always hard things and always hardships. Like those things are part and parcel with being human. We are broken vessels. We are sinful. We're going to hurt one another. We're people. People are involved. Wherever people is involved, sin will follow. And there will be hurt feelings. And yet, there will be joy because of, of extending forgiveness and mercy and grace being poured out in a community like this where we're going to just treat one another with, with forgiveness and extending forgiveness and grace to one another. We're going to find joy even in the midst of hardship. And that's what's happening in Samaria. And so I love, I love that it says, that, so there was much joy in that city. That's what happens when the good news gets proclaimed in the city. So is there much joy in Stanwood? I hope that, that this community of believers right here, all your Cedar homies out there, that you are proclaiming the word of God in Stanwood so that there is much joy in Stanwood. Because that is, the, that is the result of the, the good news being proclaimed. Joy. And so the good news is spreading, the good news, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that he's indeed risen from the dead. He's bringing freedom in Christ for those who place their trust in him. Philip is a bringer of the kingdom. Philip sees that it's like your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is like his mantra. Like it's, it's the kingdom and he's going to bring the kingdom to Samaria. And so we're seeing God's will not to be thwarted. That even in the midst of persecution that the gospel will not only just survive, but it's going to thrive and spread and fulfill the very prophetic words of Jesus that they would be witnesses in Samaria. So let's push on. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as, the, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And I hope that I'll never be in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. I mean, that doesn't sound like a good place to me to be. But this is where Simon finds himself. I mean, this is an interesting situation, right? Um, so his response, you know, is verse 25. He says, Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Right? So his response is, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And it's an interesting response. We'll, we'll get to it in just a second. Um, but, you know, what we find in Simon is that here's a guy that has been practicing magic for a long time. And, I mean, right, cutting, you know, cutting to the wick of it, he is probably involved with the um, demonic or the occult. And he's performing magic, doing kind of signs and wonders in this uh, evil power. And all of a sudden, the gospel shows up. The good news of Jesus shows up Phil, in, the, in the person of Philip as he's proclaiming the good news. All of the crowds are paying attention to what Philip is saying, and they are believing, including Simon. And he's seeing what is happening. He's seeing the signs. He's seeing the wonders. And he's hearing the good news. And it says, the scripture says that he believed Philip. And then he believed that Jesus was Messiah. And yet, there's something going on in Simon's heart where he is drawn, he is drawn to, like, the power. He's drawn to the magic. He's drawn to what comes with being able to wield. And like, he sees, like, there's a jealousy or an, or an envy. He sees the power that Peter and John are holding, being able to lay their hands on someone and have them receive the Holy Spirit in this amazing way, and he wants that. And as I was kind of praying through this, and the only thing that I could think of as I was kind of trying to relate to Simon, um, I know a couple card tricks, but that's about it. Um, I was trying to relate to Simon, and you, you know this, this lust for power or this, this, uh, this idea of wanting to be able to do, um, I, think, I think it kind of comes from just an idea or a heart that says, like, I want... Jesus to do these things for me instead of I just want Jesus. And I think that's what we're seeing in the heart of Simon is that here is a guy that wants what Jesus can do for him more than he wants Jesus. Or I love that which God can do for me instead of I just love God. 
I had a friend one time ask me, he's like, okay, hey, Chris, if, if God showed up and he answered all of your prayers, like, who would be blessed? I mean, it's an interesting question to ask yourself. If just like, if just right now in this moment, all of your prayers that you've been praying for the last week would be answered, who would be blessed? You know, and I'm probably sad to say, like, I would be pretty blessed and maybe my family a little bit. And then, you know, it would like trickle down from there. That was convicting to me when I heard my friend ask me that. And sometimes I feel like, man, what we want from God is that which he can do for us. And that's, that's, that's like, as we read in Acts chapter eight, that's not where we want to be. We don't want to be in this gall of bitterness or in the bond of iniquity. Like, I'll avoid that. And yet sometimes I think my heart is, is tempted to like, oh God, can you do this for me? You know, I lost my job a couple weeks ago. I did get another one, so thanks for your prayer. Appreciate it. Um, I forgot to mention that last week. Uh, you know, but, I, you know, I was praying a lot for myself and my family. You know, in, in those moments of need, in those moments of places where we like, find that we have great need, it's very easy to be only praying for ourselves um, and praying just, what, God, what can God do for me? But whether, again, whether we're in an unexpected hardship or whether we are in this place of plenty or a place of abundance or richer or for poor or in sickness or in our health or whatever the officiant says of these weddings, wherever we find ourselves, like, do we want more of Jesus? And do we, do we just love Jesus where we, ha- where we have plenty? Do we just love Jesus where we have, have less than plenty? Are we seeking him because we just love him uh, when we're richer or also when we're poor? Are we, you know, seeking Jesus when we are in sickness and when we are in health? You know, or is it like, oh, I seek Jesus when I have a need, and so, you know, Simon was attracted to the doing. Like, he wanted that power. He wanted to, to like, okay, God, can you give me this? And he wanted to buy it, it from Peter and John. I mean, you know, give the guy credit for being bold. Of course, he got rebuked by Peter and John. Again, I would like to, re, like, re, like, stay out of that situation. I don't think getting rebuked by Peter sounds like fun. So I will pass on that. But here Simon se- sets himself up in that situation where he is um, he's seeking what God can do for him as opposed to just seeking God. Um, you know, the commentators will argue whether Simon was saved or not saved. You know, only God can judge the heart. Commentators will argue whether his repentance was real or not. And so I don't know if his repentance was real. I don't know if he repented and, and began to walk in just in love with Jesus and not what Jesus can do for him. I don't know if he didn't repent. I don't know if he did repent. But what I do know is that the forgiveness that was offered to him from Peter was real. Like that offer of recognizing that you are in sin and then receiving that offer of forgiveness, like that is real. And if you've been walking with Jesus and you feel like there is something that has happened in your life that has kind of set you on a different path and you have turned away and you're like afraid to step back in, I just want to tell you that offer of repentance, that offer of forgiveness, that's real, always real. That is extended to you as a, as a follower of Jesus, that he is ready to forgive you and extend mercy. Repentance is real. So that's the call. As believers, we're going we're gonna to make mistakes. And when we do, would you 
repent and move forward receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. You know, as, as, as we know the words from Jesus, go and sin no more, as he puts it. That offer of forgiveness is real. And if you're in a place that is stuck because you don't feel like you deserve that forgiveness anymore, let me tell you, that's a lie. That offer of forgiveness is real. All right, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before, its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Praise the Lord. Another person who encounters Jesus and encounters the good news, he goes away rejoicing. Joy follows the good news. I mean, so there, there's a few observations that I would make from this. I mean, number one, we see the un unbelievable reach of God's grace, right? So here is an Ethiopian eunuch. He's kind of on the I would say he's not on the inside of Jewish customs, right? right? He clearly had been to Jerusalem to worship, and so, so he has some sort of religious understanding. He's not like a Gentile per se, you know, but, he, but he's certainly not on the inside of what's going on. He is on the peripheral, and here Philip just happens to find him in the middle of this desert where there happened to be some water in the middle of this desert, which is interesting also. And I just, I just see it as just the unbelievable reach of God's grace. That that person that you've been praying for for years and years and years, you think just, it's just impossible. We'll come to this story and see that there's an unbelievable reach of God's grace, that God will reach people in miraculous ways. So the Ethiopian, he was on the outskirts of Judaism, and we see just grace show up in his life through the, the good news that comes through Philip. 
And so that's the first observation. Just the second observation is just this, this quick obedience to the Holy Spirit from Philip. I mean, this, this challenges me. I just, you know, like being in relationship with God in such a way that the Holy Spirit kind of says, hey, head, check out that chariot. And immediately he just starts running alongside this chariot. Um, I just love that. Philip's response to God and his word is just immediate obedience. You know, that's challenging for me. I want to be in that space where I'm in touch with the spirit that, that, you know, that kind of, that kind of word just word comes. And then my response is just, yes, here I go. Where else do you want me? And then, of course, like we've been talking about a little bit this morning, just the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures in a fresh way for people. I mean, how, of course, uh, improbable, there he is reading Isaiah 53 about the Messiah in the midst of this, this launching of the, the good news that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. I mean, what are the odds? Of course, the, the Holy Spirit is in, in, at, at work and moving and, and is able to illuminate the scriptures to uh, this gentleman um, in a really powerful way. And, and then, of course, we find the call to respond in obedience, um, but, you know, to baptism. But before we get there, let me just jump over to Isaiah 53 real quick. Again, like I was saying, it's like, you know, we have the Old Testament and it's restored now in the sense because we have like those Holy Spirit glasses that we can put on. There was a lot of confusion as to who would fulfill this passage and that there was a lot of people in Jerusalem at the time that did not believe that this was indeed Jesus fulfilling this passage. But as we read through it, we, we have those prescriptive glasses, the Holy Spirit glasses on and we can read this and we can see the prophecy of the Messiah coming out loud and clear. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should des desire him. This, of course, is speaking of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with all his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, and although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And it goes from there. But we see so clearly now, as we look back, we see, yes, of course, this is Jesus. He was the one that was oppressed and afflicted because of our iniquity. 
And so we look at that and we read through Isaiah 53 and we say, of course, this was Jesus. And that's because the Holy Spirit has illuminated that scripture to us. And as you're reading through scripture, whether it be prophetic, you know, major prophets or minor prophets, or as you're reading in the New Testament and you're you're seeing the the Pauline epistles and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians, all of these these letters that were written to the church in those times, we see that the Holy Spirit can illuminate the scripture so that if you read through the book of Ephesians four times, five times this week and and you read it again two or three years later, God's going to show you new things. Like the, the word of God is living and active and it's going to move in your life in powerful ways. And, and why is that? It's because you're reading with the prescriptive glasses called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to interpret and guide that for you. In fact, John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. And so even Jesus was, was like, he was telling the, the apostles at the time, like, when I'm gone, I'm going to send someone greater. The Holy Spirit will be with you and he will be illuminating these scriptures to you. And what a blessing that we, church, we have that, that same Holy Spirit that can open our eyes to those as well. Uh, flip over to uh, Psalm chapter 119 if you'd like real quick. This one is, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long chapter. We're not going to read the whole thing. Don't worry. I learned my lesson last week. Have no fear. But Psalm 19 is just a beautiful uh, chapter just about God's word and about the importance of his word. In verse 130, it says, The enfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Flip back to verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Flip back to 98 and 99. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And we're going to find that as, you know, as we dive into the word of God, that our lives will be changed, that our eyes will be open to seeing the world in fresh ways, that we will be convicted of our iniquities, that we will be reminded to be, uh, become, you know, well, in humility come before the Lord, recognizing I need you. Would you extend forgiveness in this area of my life? That we will be given wisdom and guidance as we go through life, uh, getting into the word of God with those prescription glasses called the Holy Spirit is so crucial for the Christian life. You know, if you're not into the word, I would challenge you, be in the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures to you. Every once in a while, you're gonna, you know, well, this, this pastor coming, he's gonna illuminate the scriptures for you and that's gonna be so important to hear what he has for you week in, week out. Maybe every once in a while you have a Yahoo like me coming through and, and sharing with you a little glimpse of what the Word of God is all about. But more importantly than that is like you as an individual seek the Lord and what he has for you. There the eunuch was seeking the Lord. He was there in Jerusalem to worship and there he is reading Isaiah and he's confused. And maybe you need a Philip to come alongside you. And maybe you need to go to a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study so that you can have a Philip come alongside you or a Philippa who can come alongside you and like, like help me understand this. 
and talk through it and just allow the spirit to use other people in your life to encourage you and challenge you. But you need to be seeking the Lord on your own in the word of God. What a privilege we have that we have this. I don't take it for granted. There are places in the world that are not allowed to have a goat-skinned, lovely leather copy of the Word of God in whatever version I want, without as many columns as I'd like, as much space around the words as I would like. And there are people that would just be desperate for just a snippet of the gospel. All right, and so what a privilege we have, the whole thing, in big chief font if we want it. What an opportunity. But we have this call to baptism. So here we have us, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, that he's cruising around and he's on his chariot, which I'd love a chariot, that'd be fantastic. Uh, so we're, he's cruising around on his chariot and, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah and he realizes, oh my, Jesus is Messiah. Like he is the king of kings. He was killed. He was buried. He was resurrected. He is sitting at the throne of God. He is now in charge. He is the king of kings, Lord of lords. He has launched this revolution of this new thing, and I want to be a part of it. And he has this moment of accepting and trusting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I'm sure many of us could be say like, yes, yes, I have trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. For me, it was August 3rd, uh, 1995 in the, in the parking lot of the Olive Garden. I mean, very, very, very special place, you know. Um, all you can eat soup salad and breadsticks and the gospel, right? So that for me was, was where Jesus met me. And all of us have stories where Jesus met you. And maybe today is the story where you realize for the first time that yes, you need a savior. His name is Jesus. And, and maybe today is the day that you're going to meet him. And the Ethiopian who was sitting there in this desert of all places, finds Jesus, realizes that he's Messiah. Like, in all of a sudden, he's like, I'm in. And there's a body of water. Right there. And he's like, why not? Like, why should I not get baptized? And so I would just point that question out to you, and I would just bring it to you. Why should you not get baptized? Right? As a follower of Jesus, one of the things that he asked, that we would be baptized. And if you've never been baptized, if that's something that you've never done and that you are a follower of Jesus and that you have proclaimed that you believe that Jesus is Messiah, that he's the Lord and Savior, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that you have put and placed your trust in him and you have not yet been baptized, I just want to challenge you. Go find some water. Right? Come alongside uh, one of the leaders of the church and just say, hey, I would like to be baptized. Maybe we could go do it today. And maybe you can do it next week. Or maybe you can get it scheduled. I'm not sure what the processes are here. In the scripture, it's just like, where's the nearest body of water? And I would just challenge you, uh, be obedient to the word. Like if you are feeling right now the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, this is something that has been on my heart. It's something that I need to do. It's something that I want to be obedient to Jesus in. Maybe you didn't ever want to get wet in front of people. Maybe, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why people decide not to get baptized. I just want to challenge you, be obedient to the Lord. If you, if you are being asked to step in obedience and get baptized, it's your opportunity just to publicly declare to the people here in this congregation and anyone else who happens to be around that, yes, here I am. I'm, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm placing my trust in him. And I, I want to be the one that goes and proclaims the good news to Jesus and brings joy to the people in Stanwood. Like, this is who I want to do. This is who I want to be. 
And so if, if you are feeling that call in your life, find somebody who's, uh, you know, a leader in the church and say, yes, I want to do that. Can we go find some water today or next week? I'd encourage you to do that. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it does not come without, uh, without an impact on our life. Holy Spirit, would you continue to move in our lives that you would illuminate scripture to us in ways that are profound and miraculous? Lord, would, would you help us to see the truth of scripture and how the Old Testament plays a role in the New Testament and how you have fulfilled that? All these prophecies, Lord, would you open our eyes to see just how you have woven this tapestry of life together? Lord, thank you so much for the early church that was, was uh, powered by the Holy Spirit, being witnesses of your resurrection and your life and your, just proclaiming the good news wherever they were going. Thank you, Jesus, that this persecution did nothing but help to spread the gospel. Lord, we pray that we as a community of believers right here in Stanwood, that we would be able to proclaim the good news to all those around us and that, that a result of that would be joy. And just like they were receiving joy in Samaria, I pray that Stanwood receive joy as well. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, everybody stand. Be prepared to receive the benediction. This is out of Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, have a great week.